So Money Episode 729, Gabby Dunn, host of the podcast, Bad With Money. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Have you ever been completely exasperated wondering, why am I so bad with money? Maybe it was because you overspent. Maybe you depleted your savings account. Maybe you realized you were behind on retirement savings. Well, the good news is you are not alone. I've had those moments. And my guest today says her money situation is a mess. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today's guest has made a successful career out of being, quote unquote, bad with money. She is Gabby Dunn, the New York Times bestselling author, journalist, YouTuber, actress, and comedian. The YouTube channel that she runs with her comedy partner, Allison Raskin, has over 750,000 subscribers, more than 120 million views. Her podcast, Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn, hit the top 10 overall downloaded podcast charts in just seven days. Gabby's ability to be raw, relatable, and honest about money is why I love her, and it's why she has been able to rise to podcast and YouTube stardom. She's here today with her best and worst money stories, the lessons she did not learn about money from her parents, and the real economics of being a millennial in this country today, and why young people are struggling. And it has nothing to do with the cost of avocado toast. Here we go. Here is Gabby Dunn. Gabby Dunn, welcome to So Money. It's so great to finally connect with you. I'm a huge fan. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That's so lovely. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You're such a Renaissance woman. And, you know, I've just finished talking about your illustrious bio. You've accomplished so much. And I do believe that you're turning 30 this year. I am in, uh, yeah, on June 1st. All right. So how are you going to top your 20s? Because you've already hit the New York Times bestseller list. You've produced shows. You're on season three of your podcast. You're 30 under 30. I mean, gosh, how how do you plan to outdo yourself in your 30s? Uh, I'd like to have one of the shows that I create make it to a second episode. (laughs) (laughs) We've had a lot of like fun luck selling stuff. Um, but you know, a lot of the people that I admire actually have made me feel a lot better because they've said, Oh, we didn't, you know, you could sell stuff forever in this town. And then, you know, you, you get, it's like takes one guy had said, that's like a well-known creator. He was like, Oh yeah, it took me like nine shows to get anything on the air. So I was like, cool. Halfway there. Uh, so (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I'm trying to, you know, I always try to change and do different things. Like, um, I was started as a journalist and, uh, bad with money is sort of a journalistic project. And like, it's in the spirit of what I used to do and what I majored in and what I still sometimes do. And then, um, you know, the, the entertainment stuff is kind was kind of a, like a left turn. And then, uh, I I'm trying to do more acting. I'm trying to, uh, yeah, do more in front of the camera stuff. Um, and I don't know, just like whatever new things, 
I, I know I don't I have not planned anything that I've ever done. I don't want it to seem like I have. So Yeah, so that's interesting. Then what inspires you? Like when you talked earlier, like I pivoted to uh, you know, to the television stuff mm-hmm. and now I'm trying acting. Like when you get an idea in your head in 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 the sense of pursuing new uh, obstacles or adventures, what makes it a yes? Um, if, if it seems like, if it seems like something that'll be interesting or like different or good, like a lot of the stuff I really like, obviously, like I'm a queer person and a lot of the stuff I really want to be involved in is with other queer creators or with queer storylines or just stuff that I, I think I didn't see when I was growing up. Um, and then also like, uh, I, I do have to think about, um, getting paid at some point. It's this interesting dichotomy now of like doing some stuff that maybe I don't care about that much to get money so that I can pay for the things that I do care about, which almost never pay me anything. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, that's, I, I can totally relate to that. So I, I love yeah. t- television is kind of my passion. And, but as you know, it's so, there's so many moving parts to getting a show, not only on the air, but staying on the air. Oh yeah. It's crazy. And so I get, I give a lot of credit to people who choose this as their sole profession. Cause it's like, how do you actually pay the rent? And so I, I think they, I yeah. think they have to have other, they have to, yeah. I don't know. Well, okay, this is so tangential, but I have to ask you because I mean, it's it's kind of a fitting pivot to talk now about Me Too and money and the whole Me Too movement and how money plays a role in women's ability to um, not be harassed and not feel um, objectified and feel like they can walk away from scary situations and threats and where they feel undervalued. Has that come up in a lot of your conversations? I know you've done some episodes on equal pay and I'm sure across just personally your work, you, you've encountered anecdotes or personal experiences where you've seen, you've seen with your very eyes how when a woman has money, that gives her agency. I think for me, that's been the biggest and most profound takeaway that and lesson for all of us is like, you know, whether you like it or not, having money helps in a lot of ways, especially when you are a woman in an industry where um, there is potential for objectification, being undervalued and being threatened. That's almost every industry. Um, I've, I've had friends definitely like outside of work stuff. I've had friends who, who couldn't leave bad relationships because they couldn't afford to move out or they, 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 you know, were relying on the, um, largely the guy for, uh, for income. So, um, I think it's like a situation that kind of, you can slowly, slowly get into and get complacent in and, um, and uh, yeah, it's scary because you, you'd want to tell someone to do the right thing, but you also know that like the realistic thing is they, they really just can't, they can't leave. Um, and so that can happen with jobs too. Um, there's a, a woman named Paulette Parrish who talks about, um, the F off fund, which is mm-hmm. basically like the amount of money that you need to be able to tell someone to F off. <laughs> um, and uh, it's tough because emotionally it's tough to do anyway. Like it's tough to, to say to a, to like a, you go into a job, you're very optimistic. You're like, you know, you think, okay, great. I'm going to have a paycheck. Like it's a very, it's supposed to be a very like celebratory, like good 
time to even be like, okay, what can I contribute to this job? What can I do? This is amazing. Um, and then it's like so soul crushing to be like, oh, this is an unsafe environment. Um, or even like, this is just a place where I'm like undervalued. So, uh, I I've definitely had situations where I did not have the money to leave a, a thing that wasn't great. And I, would just cry all the time and was like, didn't know what the right thing is. And even not even money wise, but like emotionally, you're kind of taught that every, you have to keep every job. Like I think a you lot can't, of because it's failure, right? If you walk away, it's yeah. like you failed. You, you couldn't cut it. Right. I mean, a lot of friends of mine, um, just out of college, I think are so excited to get any job that, and, and I'm not just women, but I think even like also, you know, queer people and black people and, and other people of color, like, uh, and all of the above, you know, you are so excited to have any job that you don't realize you're being mistreated. And then when you are mistreated, you're like, no, it's fine. Like, I'm just lucky to be here. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think like, I saw a lot of that in my time where you kind of are, think at 22, because it's your first job out of school, I have to stay here. I have to keep this. Like people were so excited for me. People were so you know, maybe you announced it on Facebook or whatever, you know what I mean? Like people were so happy that I wasn't like one of the losers out of college that I could finally pay my student loans that I'm not one of the people that has to move home. Like just these kind of like things where, uh, which is like, you know, complete, there's tons of people that live at home, like move home, live at home, try yeah, to get there's no shame in that. Yeah. No, not at all. Like getting your shit together first before jumping into some job that might be like, Oh, really unsafe and terrible environment for you, either physically or emotionally, like one is way better than the other. But there is this thing of like the optics of seeming successful. So right. it's, it's, and it's like awful to be like, Oh, why did you quit uh, for another job? No, I was just like getting sexually harassed. <laughs> well, and it's so true because you're learning now, we're learning now about all these, for example, Hollywood actresses who've gone on to win Oscars oh and behind the scenes. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, um, Lupita Nyong'o's essay in New York Times yeah. or um, uh, some of the other actresses who talked about the just the darkness that they experienced. And yet all the while we're just seeing them in Us Weekly and on the on the red carpet mm -hmm. and making all these all this money and being successful. But it was they go home and they they're not happy. Um, yeah. I mean, it's all there is a lot of. Um, falseness to like the sheen of everything and not just for Hollywood people, but for, for everyone. I mean, I talked about like posting on Facebook, I got this great job or whatever. I used to like live and die by what I could put in my Twitter bio. Like I was so excited <laughs> yes. to be like, I'm writing at this place and I'm writing at yeah. that place. And like, and, it, and like, if it didn't work out, you know, like taking a, a job out of my Twitter bio would like crush me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, girlfriend. I am there. I have been there. I love your podcast. It's called bad with money and everyone listening should hop over and check it out. I it's called bad with money, but I think really you're teaching listeners how to be smart with money. And I wonder how the podcast has helped you evolve in your financial life, Gabby, what's been kind of the biggest improvement in your financial life that's been a direct result of hosting the show and talking to so many people? Yeah. So what, what has it been for you? I'm still a mess, uh, for sure. <laughs> like, I'm still a goddamn mess. Um, the biggest change, like, so I'm, ha I'm having a lot of issues getting paid for a job right now. Like, I'm like trying to, you know, I'm like, 
trying to get them to pay me in a timely manner and it's not really working out for them. Uh, <laughs> like they're super busy. Um, so I, so I, I still, I'm like, how, how have I reached this point in my career? And I'm still like begging companies to pay me. Um, and that sucks and probably will never change. And I just have to like get over it. But, um, but in the meantime, while all of that's happening, like, I'm like, this is the same as it was when I was 22. I haven't fixed anything, you know, like crying in my room a couple days ago. But I, I had to think in like the biggest change is that, I, yes, I'm like, you know, uh, I, I'm freaking out because I'm not getting like paid this month. And that's going to like, you know, cause me to take some money from somewhere else to pay rent, which is I don't want to do. But also I have a retirement fund like in, in five years ago when I was crying, when I would cry about the exact same thing, let's say, um, there was, there was, I literally meant I had no money. And now when I'm like, I have no money, what I mean is I have no like spending cash Mm -hmm. and, and, and I, or, you know, or I've used too much on my credit card or whatever. But, but when I actually think about the facts, the difference between, and maybe it's just a small difference and I'm still stressed out, but the difference between five years ago and now, um, is that I do have a retirement fund. I can't, I don't touch it. I can't, that money basically doesn't exist to me. It's a ghost, but there is another fund somewhere in, in the world that has money that I contribute to it. So I go, Oh, I have no money. I'm upset. Uh, and, and like, that's true. I am like, I'm like more on my credit card that I wish than I wish I was. And, Um, I don't have this, the, any like spending cash until this brand fucking pays me. Sorry. Am I allowed to curse? We'll just call it explicit. It's peep. It's cool. We we, we give people a heads up. It's all right. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. I mean, it's fine. So this brand pays me. Uh, and, and so, but the big difference is that I, I have been slowly putting chunks away in retirement. So the, so the biggest change I would say is that when I go, I have no money. What I mean is different than what it used to mean. And, and I do have, uh, like a retirement fund that is, that I can't touch that is slowly happening like almost despite me. Um, and that'll like, you know, I'll have that when I'm older versus like just draining everything. How much of your interest in money and your fascination with money stems from being a journalist versus your upbringing, because I know too that you've had a very interesting upbringing where um, you've written about, you know, how, whether it's, you know, your father who mismanaged Mm -hmm. money to pay for his addiction to your mom who called you her retirement, um, Mm -hmm. like basically her retirement solution. And then Mm -hmm. also your your experience in school. So I know that you went to a very wealthy private school on a scholarship amidst a bunch of rich kids. That must have been an awakening of sorts. Um, so how much of your upbringing has impacted your curiosity about money and, um, what was your biggest money memory growing up as a kid that left an impact? I think, um, yeah, I think all of it, I think it was the journalism stuff helped when starting the podcast for sure. Um, I think, yeah, your upbringing is a huge part of, of how you think and feel about money. And, um, I, I, I remember asking my parents a lot about where money was coming from and sort of being told to shush, which uh, a lot of the, I interviewed a lot of um, high schoolers for the book and a lot of them re- recounted the same thing that they, 
would like help out in their home or whatever. And the parents would be super into it. And then once they started asking questions about money, the parents would be like, Oh, you're just acting grown. Why are you acting like a grown up?" Um, and so they were like, well, I'm, I'm not allowed to ask like about the things that I'm seeing that might be wrong. Uh, and, uh, and the parents are like, no, you're a nosy kid. Get away. So I, I, that seems to be a relatable experience. Um, and I, what, I mean, the schooling really like barn bat mitzvah season was like real rough because it was the school had uniforms, but during bar and bar mitzvah season, you could tell who had money and who didn't because it was came down to the parents that paid for these lavish parties for their 13-year-old to enter Jewish adulthood. <laughs> so, I mean, it was like my super sweet 16. It was just like some people had theirs on boats and some people had theirs in, in rented out nightclubs and some people, uh, you know, had like very lavish uh, like fireworks displays. And, you know, it was like huge. Um, and then, you know, other people just had like a religious ceremony and, uh, God forbid. Right. And so, um, <laughs> so like, what was yours like? like, what was yours like? Are you Jewish? Did you have a, bar, a bat mitzvah? Yeah. Yeah. I'm Jewish. The school was Jewish. So everyone was Jewish. Um, yeah, I, my mom, uh, I mean, it's in, it's in the book I'm writing, but my mom took out a bunch of loans and spent a significant amount of money on my bat mitzvah which blow and she gives me the exact number which I talk about in the book but it blew my mind how much I don't know if I want to say because I want people to buy the book <laughs> I'm sure there'll be uh, many more revelations in the book I mean I'm continue. sure yeah 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 but like I just think like it was a lot it, it was a lot and and it was like you know to and and like it was you know in her mind I was so happy. And so I had like the best time. And she said, like, she always talks about this memory of me, like laying on the floor in my dress and her going like, what are you doing? And me being like, I don't want it to end. If I lay on the floor, it'll keep going. Aww. And like to a mom, that's yeah. like, she was like, her heart grew three sizes that day. Like she was like, this is the best. Like I did the right thing for her. Like I made her so happy. And she was like, well, what am I, was I supposed to like not do that for you? And, um, and so it it was like this huge peer pressure thing. And at the time, you could tell who had money and who didn't. And I knew that we didn't. And I also knew that we were doing this anyway. And it was like very confusing. What does your family think now of your of your podcast and how much you talk about your life? And and, and has it have you had conversations with them since? Yeah, I interviewed them for the book and for the podcast. Um, they get very annoyed, but and defensive. But um, like, I mean, to be honest, like they kind of put me through a lot, so I feel like they can't say anything. Like, I'm like, you know, like if me like writing a book about the situation is means I turned out to be a functional adult somehow, then like. Cool. Yeah. Like, think, it's all good. Everybody, yeah, everybody be I happy. Mean, and my dad is super open about his past. Like he's, it's not like I'm telling tales out of AA. Like he's, um, <laughs> he's very, he, he talks about it. He writes about it. He's very open about, um, his addiction recovery and, uh, 
and like, you know, so I, he, anything that I say, he, he'd tell you first. Um, and, uh, and so it, they, you know, they're defensive in the sense that they kind of do this thing of like, well, didn't you have a good childhood? Like, I don't know what you're so upset That's about. Every parent's defense. Well, you know, I mean, it, it turned out okay. Right. And what are you going to say well, to that? Well, of course I did, but it's I- a Jewish mother thing and maybe also other ethnicities, but it's like a Jewish mother thing to be like, my mom immediately goes to, okay, I should have just left you in a closet to die. Then. I don't know what you know what I mean? I'm like, right. literally there's a middle ground between like taking out loans for a bat mitzvah and leaving me in a closet to die. Yes. There's a lot of potential <laughs> in between. I agree. So your parents obviously uh, made a lot of mistakes, but also raised an amazing young woman. And so what would you say is the best part of being raised by them? Like what was the best um, financial awareness that you developed now as an adult? And maybe what has been your biggest mistake that you can say, you know what, it's because I had this childhood that it led me down this particular path with my money. I mean, they just keep on going. They just keep on working. They figure it out. Like, you know, my dad was has jumped around jobs a lot and he was out of work again and he just started driving Lyft and he's like 71 and he just didn't have any sort of like pride about it in this way. Like he was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, and then he has like a private Instagram that all us kids follow and he just posts his reviews there. (laughs) Uh, It's very endearing. Uh, and, uh, and, um, my mom, like what's interesting is my mom, like, you know, was the breadwinner and, and handled the household and did a lot of stuff. So I grew up really normalized with like a woman at the helm, which I think uh, would help a lot. Like she was very driven and I went to work with her a lot because of like childcare stuff. And, um, and so she's a lawyer. So I would see her, I went to the courthouse with her a lot. So I would like, you know, see her buzzing in and out and like, uh, and, and like walk, running around and yelling at men and talking to <laughs> men, with this very like intense voice. And like, just in a way that like, maybe you would, uh, you would see your mom kind of be deferential, but she, I basically just watched her fight people my whole childhood. <laughs> so, um, and like, and, and, so, and like argue back. And so I kind of was like, Oh wow, cool. Like that's her job. Hmm. Um, and we had like a, I just remembered we had like a, a, a career day at my school and there was like, you could do a field trip. And I brought like in eighth grade, I brought everyone to like watch her in court and like that. And like, I was like really like proud of it and stuff. So, so yeah, so, um, they, you know, that was kind of a, a an interesting like switch and also that my dad is sort of just tenacious in that way. And then the other thing is that the, the negative stuff is that they kind of you know, they spent so that we never complained. So like, you know, there's an entitlement there where like, I wanted to go out of state for college and they were like, okay. And I wonder, and then now I have like $30,000 in loans, which is maybe small compared to other people, but like not great. And so I, and I had Florida prepaid, like it would have been free. And so I said to my mom, like, what would you, what, what, like what would have changed if you had just said to me, like, we can't afford it. Try again, which like a lot of parents do. Right. Oh yeah. uh, I couldn't go to the colleges of my choice because we didn't have the money. Loans were not an option. Of course. And like a lot of people have that experience. Like that would have been very normal of them to do. 
And my mom was like aghast. Like she was like, we would have never done that to you. Like you, you wanted to go where you wanted to go. Of course we had to make that happen. And I was like, okay, but (laughs) (laughs) thanks. But, but that was kind of the thing was like, you know, uh, like, of course, you know, of course we had to, to let you uh, go to summer camp. Of course we had to, like, it was all sort of this kind of thing of like saying yes to stuff that they, so like, you know, I spend on things I can't afford because I'm like, well, uh, it's of course, you know. What is your number one money habit right now? Do you have like a system? I know you say you're still a mess, but you have the retirement account, which I think is great. Um, what are some other things that you're, you might be doing like on a daily basis? Like even if it's just a check-in before you buy something. My girlfriend just forced me to get Digit. Do you know Digit? Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Because I want to get a dog. And I, and I, she doesn't think I understand what a dog costs. <laughs> um, our relationship's fun. So she doesn't think that I know what a dog costs. So she, uh, because I just like look at pictures of dogs and I'm like, let's get a puppy. And then I, I she was texting the guy and he was like, it's, and it's, and she was like, we're not going to a breeder. And just to show me, she was like, look at how much this dog costs. It's like $3,000. And I was like, fine. Which I know, I know you shouldn't go to a breeder. Look, okay, before the tweets arrive, I'm not going to go to a breeder. But <laughs> she, she was using it as a point. Um, but anyway, so so she got said, why don't you get Digit? And it'll put like, you know, $5 away without you even thinking about it all the time. And you can make a little fund that says puppy. And, and, then, and then when it reaches the right amount, <laughs> then you can get a puppy. So this is the type of parenting that my parents didn't do. Um, and that so my, my what, girlfriend, what, who's three years younger than me, is doing now. Digit's <laughs> amazing. I mean, I interviewed the CEO on. You should have him on your podcast too. Or he was on my show. He started this app a few years ago, and al- already they have saved for it's for the users of Digit over a billion dollars. Yeah, it seems great. It Crazy. seems great. So so it updates me like when I wake up, it says, here's what's in your account. And like, it'll, you know, it'll... Um, and it say, only saves what you can afford. It's not going to go in there and yes. take like $300. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I set it so that if, if my bank account's under a certain amount, don't take the money out. Yeah. So like, it seems really great. So I just started like a couple weeks ago and it's got, it's a little, it's got, uh, I, I have a fund, like a fund for like emergencies. I made like put $5 in for emergencies. And then I made like a smaller like puppy fund. That's cute. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, but you might have already answered it. This is a question brought to us by our sponsor, Chase Slate. What is the number one thing that you are saving up for currently? A big ticket item. Uh, Well, a dog, Uh, (laughs) a a living being. Um, And uh, I, you know, I also, it's, it's come up a few times where I've, had a chunk of money saved for a dog and then and then like this has happened like three times and then something's come up and I have to just be responsible and like my parents would have been like get the dog um and and I have to like send an email and be like hey something came up I can't I can't meet the any dogs on Thursday like to the show you know whatever to the appointment that I made and that's like such a bummer but like it's also like in the long run it will be better for me and for the dog so but it's like a delayed gratification that I am not used to. Right. You'll get that dog. It'll be in your future. You have to visualize it. Give it a name already. <laughs> Put a picture of the dog on your phone. It's happening. 
Yeah, all I do is look at dogs and go, why not me? But it's okay because you have to, you have to, you know, be responsible. Yes. Like with it and you have to like have the amount of money. I mean, my comedy partner has a dog and she's like, you have to have X amount of money so that if the dog gets sick tomorrow, you can, you can save its life. And I, and I don't have that right now. I have to be honest. So I have to like really be honest with myself about like what's realistic. And my parents never instilled that in me. So that's new. So, so digit. And then also like I have a financial advisor that I didn't have a couple years ago and he is in charge of my retirement. So he's dealing with retirement and I have to figure out cause I just joined the writer's guild which was like so much money to do. Um, and so that has, uh, uh, that has retirement plans too. So I may have to like look into that as well. So look at me caring about that. Look at you all grown up and you're not even 30 yet. Well, thanks. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for your book that's coming out. I understand that it's based on the podcast, but how is it also going to kind of take it to the next level? What's new in the book that maybe we're not hearing on the podcast? Yeah, um, there's a lot more like longer personal stories um, and uh, some stuff that I haven't talked about mental health wise. And like also I did, you know, it took a year for me to write. So I did a bunch of research on um, like the the myths about millennials uh, and the ways that we are sort of uh, portrayed in media, which is incorrect. And the ways that like huge swaths of the population, like largely, I'm really interested in Southern poverty in particular. And like that's touched on a bit in the book, but, um, but, uh, like just basically the way that certain groups are, are deemed millennials and other groups aren't. And like, so what's going on with like, you know, people, the realistic stuff and not just like they can't afford homes because of millennial, millennial spending money on avocado toast and, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. That's a privilege, like, by the way. If you can buy avocado toast, you're you're not in bad shape. Oh, yeah. Make it yourself at home. Yeah. Anyway, so my girlfriend was just giving me a hard time because I had two. I went grocery shopping and I bought two things of blueberries and she was like, you bought berries? You're at berries level of money. <laughs> like, oh yeah, because berries are like seven, eight bucks a, a, for a little like, you know, yeah. square of berries. And she was like, you look at you, rich girl buying berries. And I was like, all right. But um, so, you know, so like uh, there's all these myths about like the ways that we, um, are and, and I, and like the, and I wanted to sort of demystify, I mean, I do it on the show, but I go into like the ways that personal finance is a flawed industry and how, um, there's like, you can live in a middle ground of personal finance. And also there's a lot of bigger stuff that needs to change. So I'm doing that too. Thank you for doing that. That's so important. That's important work. Um, I'm, I'm glad you're trying to I'm just like tired of these like millennial books that are like adulting and it's just so simple and victim blamey. And I'm like, that's not, this appeals to like 5% of millennials. (laughs) Right. What about the millennial who um, is, you know, can't even afford to finish college yet, Mm -hmm. you know, working three jobs. Generational households are huge. Like, you know, you think of millennials as, as like the, the girl in New York city, but you don't think like a, a 22 or like a, you know, 25 year old uh, woman, of you know, uh, with like living in a multi-generational household with low income in Texas with two kids. That's a millennial. 
Mm-hmm. And we like totally don't talk about them at all. Because it's super sobering. It's mm-hmm. it's really um it makes people uncomfortable to to think about yeah. that. It does. And um thank you for making us uncomfortable and being so raw and honest and put guilt like really taking money to a really important and new dimension. Everybody listen to Bad with Money season three just premiered with Gabby Dunn and your book, of course, back in the fall. We'd love to have you back when that's out and you can talk more about it. Yeah, yeah. It comes out in um in uh uh winter twenty nine or like, you know, beginning of twenty nineteen. Okay. January. Oh, perfect yeah. time. Perfect time. Mm-hmm. All right, Gabby, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks so much to Gabby for joining me. Her YouTube show is called Just Between Us. Her website is GabbyDunn.com and she is on Twitter. Join her hundreds of thousands of followers at GabbyDunn, D-U-N-N. Gabby with one B and Dunn with two N's. Don't worry. All this information is back at SoMoneyPodcast.com where you can find the links to Gabby's work as well as download this episode, download the transcript, and leave me a question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and I hope your day is so money.